Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. And so, but over these next four weeks, we're going to be shining fresh light on familiar carols that you and I know really well. But the thing about familiarity is that we lose sight a bit of the beauty of something that is familiar. We can hang the most beautiful painting in our house. You could purchase whatever you find beautiful, whether it's Picasso or Monet or Rembrandt, whatever it might be. You could choose the most beautiful picture, hang it in your house, and within a month, within four weeks' time, you'll stop noticing that picture anymore. It's not that it hasn't, it's not that it's not there anymore. It's not that it's any less beautiful. It's that you and I, in familiarity, breeds a a sort of, just a sort of ambivalence to the things around us. We stop seeing beauty in the things that are familiar. And so, my hope over this series, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you're not, my hope over this series, as we as we spend a little bit of time looking at the, the truth and the, the, the stories and the ideas communicated by these familiar carols, you might find something new about the story of Christmas, about Advent, about what it all means for us. And so, to begin our series, we're going to be talking about a carol I know you all know, O Holy Night. Oh, holy night. A beautiful, beautiful, quite, it's quite a serene one, and it's been made famous, I suppose, in, in more recent years by some very talented artists. Who do you know that sang Oh, holy night in a recording of some form? Sorry? The Pentatonics, they did an, a beautiful, the Pentatonics did a beautiful a cappella version. I believe Mar- Mariah Carey's done it. Perhaps, regrettably, Celine Dean Diod it as Celine Dion did it as well, and uh, Josh Groban did a really familiar one. Is there a fa- is, have you got a fa- famous, a familiar one that you can communicate with me? It's okay. Oh yes, yes, yep, yeah. One of our uh, the beautiful members of our congregation um, sung that beautifully as well. But it is such a beautiful and familiar carol to us. And if you jump to the next slide, Santane, the, uh, the carol itself, to give you a bit of background, the carol was written originally as a poem, a French poem. I can't, I'm not even going to begin to pronounce that. But um, it was by a, a, a poet or a, a young guy in a church, a Catholic church, I believe. And um, that's his name there, Placide Capur, something like that. I butchered that, I apologize. And uh, he was a French winemaker, and he, he was actually asked by uh, 
by the, uh, the leader of the church, I think the priest in the church that he was a part of at the time, to write a poem for Christmas. And this, an O Holy Night, or Minuet Cretiens, was the poem that he wrote. And acknowledging at some point they, they read it out and it was beautiful, but he thought, no, there's more to this than just a simple poem. And so he invited a friend of his, who I don't believe was a Christian, to, to compose some music to it. And that, that guy's name was Adolf, Adolfo Adam. And, and so the song that was d- developed was Cantique de Noel. And, sli- and, and later on, into the early uh, 20th century, I believe, John Sullivan Dwight translated it into English. And that is the song that you and I know. Now, it's had an interesting history as it fell in and out of favour within the Catholic Church that it was written for because they started to realise that it, it, that it enabled a bunch of things and it created and spurred on inspiration within the life of communities that sang it. And for different reasons, the churches that it began in didn't know how they felt about that. So, it was actually, it was actually cut out of corporate worship, but it had gained such energy that it just took off everywhere. And it's become a car- one of the most well-known carols across the globe. And so, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to sing that carol now. And then I'm going to share with you and reflect with you a little bit after we've sung it, some of the truths that are drawn out of this. But I invite you, as you sing it this morning, have a look and have a wonder at some of the words that are in this beautiful song that you might have sung a thousand times and never noticed were there, or you don't even know what they mean. My hope is that we can shed some fresh light on this beautiful hymn for you this morning. So why don't you stand and sing with this church?
Have a seat too, if you like. Thank you. I mean, you're already sitting down, but that's okay. I wonder, what did you hear? What did you notice? Was there something new about what you heard? A word, a phrase. What I find so interesting is when we look closely at these when we look so closely at these carols, we find incredible truths about what it is that we believe as followers of Jesus, about what Christ's birth actually means for us. And so I wanted to, rather than, can I just grab my um, notes if I can? Thank you. Rather than to offer extraordinary sort of insights about every Bible passage that's in there because you can quote Scripture for every single phrase that exists in that hymn, in that carol. But I wanted to stop on a couple of key phrases which you might not have noticed before. You might have looked at them and, and wondered, what's going on there? The first one I want to look at is in... The second part of the first verse, it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining. What does that mean? What does it mean that we, as a world, might exist struggling with sin and with error, pining for, yearning for something to change about the rhythm of the world? Well, in in Psalm chapter... 14, we read this. It's, the psalmist writes, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Have we heard that lately in our culture? They are corrupt, their deeds are vile. That's fine. There is no one who does good. The psalmist looks around, he looks around to, to see if he can find anyone. There's no one who does good. And the Lord looks down from heaven upon all of humanity, upon all of mankind, to see if there is any 
who understand what it means to live a holy life to anyone who would seek God, and He cannot find anyone. And so Christ, what is it that, what is it that God has done? What is it that, that it means that Christ would enter the world? Well, He enters the world, a world that is in desperate trouble, a world that is lost, a world that is, frankly, alone. And the reality that you and I have seen and we experience in our life is that when we are alone, when we choose to do things on our own rather than doing things with God, or how long does it work out for with us going our own way? How long can we live a completely selfish life without it falling apart at some point? How long can the world exist with just sin as its guiding principle. It doesn't seem to matter, I've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, it doesn't seem to matter how good a thing we as humanity create, how sound a government system, how, how precise an economic plan. It doesn't seem to matter how many different things we innovate and create to ultimately enrich our lives or to provide hope for us, what ends up happening in the end? We end up corrupting it in some way. We end up causing problems. Selfishness abounds. And so, it doesn't seem to matter whatever political or economic system we place in our midst, it doesn't work. Why? Because long lays the world in sin and error pining for a difference, pining for something new. And then something changes. Until He appeared and the soul felt His work. So, the world was, in a sense, struggling. And then something, who's He? Jesus appeared and the soul felt his, or felt its worth. Now, what does that mean? It took me a little while to figure this one out. What does it mean that the soul might feel its worth? Will you think about you and I as human beings? What is it that tells us that we have value? What is it that enables us to look around at one another and say, you know what, your value as a human being you are worth more than a God. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that you're worth more than a goat, or a cat, or a sheep, or a horse, or a pig, or a cow? There's nothing in our economic system that tells us that that is true. There's nothing in really a political system that tells us that is the case. What is it that tells us that humanity has worth? Well, the question perhaps to better ask is, what determines worth? What determines worth? How much someone is willing to pay. The worth of a house is a, is a figure until you find someone willing to pay it. 
the worth of a car. It's just an idea until you find someone willing to pay it. Friends, the worth of humanity was just an idea until someone was willing to pay for it. And so we discover with the appearance of Jesus in the world, when we understand why it is that He came, what His purpose was, we, we begin to understand our worth as human beings. That He came to pay for our lives. He came, as John 3.16 says it, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He gave His Son for us. Why? So that whomever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Mark 10 tells us that for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to do what? To give His life as a ransom. What's a ransom? A ransom is a payment for something that needs to be redeemed. A payment of something that needs to be redeemed. So Jesus came to give His life as a ransom for many. And so for you and I, just the existence of Jesus, as in the appearance of Jesus, that God had to send His Son into the world to be its Saviour to pay the debt of sin that's on each and every one of our lives. That gives us an idea of the true worth that you and I have before God, that He would give His Son for you. Would I give my son for you? I don't have one. But would I give my daughter for you? I, don't, I can't answer that question. That's outside. That's beyond my grace to answer. But we know one person that did give His Son for us. God gave His Son. But the, 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 the hymn continues, it says, with a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope, a thrill of hope, and the weary world rejoices. I wonder, are you weary today? I'm weary today. We had a dance concert yesterday. Fortunately, I didn't have to dance. No one needs to see that. But our three, the three women in our house, so our two daughters and Eloise, my wife, we, um, so we, they spent the day doing the dance concert up at, up at Tanunda. Um, it was a beautiful day. But I tell you, you wanted to find weary. It was the energy level in the car driving home from the dance concert. I was so tired, and they're not here this morning because I, yeah, I was out of the house before anyone was awake. I tried really hard. I even didn't turn on the coffee machine this morning when I got up at home so that they could sleep. So I waited until I got here to have a coffee. Tell you what, if that's not laying your life down for your family, I don't know what is. There is Nescafe, yes, that's true, but I still have to boil the kettle. I see, I, I processed all of that, and I went, nope, I can wait. Because of the weariness that I knew was upon them for all that they had endured. And it was a joyful endurance, don't get me wrong, but it was still an endurance. 
And we read this line. There's a thrill of hope and a weary world rejoices. The thrill of hope, the birth of Jesus. This weary world rejoices for the first time in a long time. In Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writes about the struggle that creation experiences under our dominion as humanity. It was designed that way, that you and I as human beings would, would steward the world. In, in, in Genesis, it talks about uh, that humanity, that the creation would be under humanity's dominion. A better word for that is actually stewardship, that it's our responsibility to care for creation, and that creation wouldn't just be a a stage at which the human story plays out, but instead creation is a good and wonderful thing that God created for us to take care of and exist in and with. Yet it seems, and Scripture is so clear, the creation has been suffering under the leadership of humanity. Not because we don't know how, but because the sin in our life, the sin within humanity, struggles to do it. And he writes it like this, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And he says, for, verse 19, for the creation waits, go back, please go back, waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Creation is waiting. It's waiting with eager expectation, anticipation for the children of God, that is those that would emerge in God's kingdom, those that would align with God's rhythm for the world, those that would be determined by the Spirit within them to live life the way that God had planned in the first place. It is waiting for those people to be revealed. Next slide. For the creation, the world, was subjected to frustration. It is frustrated with us, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. It's us. But it's hoping the creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation is going to share in the glory that God has planned for the future, for, the, for eternity. Creation is going to share in that with us in some form. I don't know what that looks like, but for you and I, a weary world rejoices. It's tired, yet with the birth of Jesus comes a thrill of hope. And that is what today is about. Hope, the beginning of Advent. It's the hope, the thrill, a moment, a flash of hope that we might truly understand all that Jesus has done and what it means not just for us, but for the creation that we are called to steward. For the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. Well, the one thing that is, all, that is 
no matter, let me talk, let me put it this way. No matter how dark the day, no, no matter how dark the night, morning is always just around the corner, isn't it? No matter how dark the night, no matter how broken the moment, there is a dawn at some point around the corner. We cannot slow time, so dawn is coming. No matter how long that night shift feels, I used to work night shift, no matter how long the night shift feels, I'm seeing a couple of folks nodding going, yes, night shift is horrible, because between two and five in the morning, when it is dark, dark, dark and cold, it feels like it's never going to end. But the dawn always comes. And friends, maybe for you this morning, you're, you're entering this Christmas season super weary. And I don't know why, I don't know what's going on for you necessarily, but there's a weariness hanging over you. It could be health, it could be life situation, it could be your finances. It could just be the anxiety of the season of the world that we're in. And I've got to tell you that there's nothing about... Some of you, I've, I've heard people say over the last couple of weeks, I'm so tired, I just want 2022 to end. So that we can get into 2023. But friends, I've got to tell you that our circumstances, the anxiety of our world doesn't give a rip what the calendar says. <laughs> because I heard people saying, I want 2020 to end so that we can get into 2021 and it'll be better tomorrow. And I want 2021 to end so that we can get into 2022 because 2022 will be better. And here we are, as weary as we were before. And so friends, what needs to change? What is it that brings the dawn? What is it that brings the new morning? God. God is the only one. Friends, you and I cannot bring the dawn any more than that we can turn back time or any more than we can make it rain. We can't bring the dawn. The only one that can bring the dawn is God. And in the same way, the only one that can bring a new dawn in the weariness of our situation is Jesus. And so I don't know what your journey is like this Christmas. But that there's, there's a thrill of hope available to you. And it's not through a new job. It's not through a, a change in circumstances. It's not through an, a wage increase. And it's not through a health diagnosis that's more positive than the one you've got right now. The thrill of hope amidst a weary world is Jesus. It was the morning, it wasn't the, it wasn't the dawn that brought the hope it was the birth of a child and the realization of a world welcoming for the first time, sorry, the world welcoming for the first time its Savior. That's where the hope came from. So a weary world rejoices. Why for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn? And so what do we do? With all of that, what do we do? Well, I think the chorus tells us. Fall on your knees. Some of us slower than others. I'm not as young as I used to be. People are like, yeah, right, I'm not even getting on my knees. That's all we've got, friends. 
in the face of such an extraordinary gift, when reminded of just how much we are worth before God. Realizing the gift and how much it would cost the God that created us, knowing there's nothing we could do to earn it, but instead it is an extraordinary gift of grace. There is nothing we can do except fall on our knees. Fall on our knees. And hear the angels' voices as they sang in the heavens on that night with the shepherds, if you know the story. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on all those on whom His favour rests. That's what the angels declared in the heavens, an army of them in the sky. I don't even kind of begin to think what that would look like. Can you? But it begins our mind to wonder. But in the face of all of that, our only response really is to fall on our knees and sing praises to our Heavenly Father. So I'll invite the band back up. We're going we're gonna to sing this song again. And indeed, the only response we can have to the truth of all that we have shared is to fall on our knees and sing praises to the God that created us.